Amen. Thank you so much for that worship team. Truly our God is unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. And he's God just, just who he is. Amen. All right. How y'all doing? Okay. I guess two people are doing good. That's, I guess that's, uh, that's more than none. One more time. How y'all doing? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, okay. We'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. I know we got a little bit of the uh, fall morning hang. How many of you struggled to get up this morning? All right, just a couple of you and quite a few people just did not, and that's okay. That's okay. So, um, listen, uh, before we get started and dive into the message today, just want to remind you today uh, I need to borrow about 20 minutes of your time following service. Uh, at the edge of the stages, you'll see their buckets. We're going to go out into the community and we are going to scatter and love on some people, some of our neighbors, some of the students on campus and some of the people uh, down close by our new facility on 4th and Oak. And so uh, we're not asking for a whole lot of your time, maybe 20 minutes. Uh, we're just going to pass out some bottle of waters, pray for some people, get to know our neighbors and um, just share the love of God. So can you give me about 20 minutes after service? Can you? Can you? Please? All right. And then you can go, and we can make sure we get home in time for football and all the rest of those good things. And so um, so it's pretty good because uh, also Garvin Gate Blues Festival is going on down there. So there's going to be quite a few people down there that we can connect with, so I'm really excited about it, uh, as well as the Iron Man. Um, so uh, you might as well hang out because you're not going to be able to get home quickly anyway because the streets are going to be blocked. So you might as well just walk with us. Cool? All right. All right. Well... Um, today we, uh, we dive into the fourth installment of our series that we've been going through called If. And uh, during the time that you've been with us, we have been intentional about trying to do just one thing. Let me see how astute you are because we've said for the last few weeks, what's the only thing that we want to do during this series? Encourage. There we go. There we go. We just want to encourage you. This series is strictly about encouraging and encouragement uh, without, throughout the body of Christ. So we want to make sure that you leave here today encouraged. And what a better day as we spent um, at the close of service about 24 hours in prayer and just saturating this place and going before the Lord. Uh, encouragement is something that we all need. A good pastor uh, that I really follow and appreciate, he says that the one responsibility of every individual on the planet is simply this, to remain encouraged. Because no matter what you do, no matter what your profession, no matter how you serve, if you are not encouraged, you are of no good use to anyone or anything. And so we have that responsibility to remain encouraged. And so week one, if you remember, we talked about how, uh, what would your life look like if you knew that God was on your side? We pulled out for Romans 8.31. We just wanted you to know that God is with you and that's all that matters, right? Week two then, uh, Matt came and he talked about the fact that there is no condemnation so regardless of what you've experienced in your past you are not condemned remember we reflected on Romans 7 that we're trying to do these good things but evil is always present with us but God wanted to let us know through his word that regardless of your past experiences God does not condemn you you have new life and so you can get up and continue again and then last week uh, we talked about how the same spirit that's inside of you it's the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, letting you know the reason that you are not condemned and the reason why God is on your side because he has equipped and empowered you with a power source, his Holy Spirit to help to lead and guide you through. 
And for today, I just want you to be uh, conscious of one thing. And uh, by the close of this message, I just want you to know just this, that God knows you. I want you to know that God knows you. And we're going to look at the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Of course, it'll be available on the screen or on your devices. Uh, We're going to be coming today for Romans 8, verse 29 and 30. Real simple. And this is what you'll find. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Will you pray with me before we dive in? Eternal God, may we, may we know and may we be certain of you. And may we live our lives, Lord, in a sense that these words, Lord, that we hear today aren't just simple letters upon a page, God, but they will be written on our hearts, Lord, that it impacts and affects the way that we live. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, may it be acceptable in your sight, and may your people hear from you and from you alone. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite books of the Bible is actually the book of Judges. I know we typically go to New Testament a lot of times, the Gospels. I love the book of Judges because the book of Judges is simply about rejects. It's a book of rejects whom God has called to use for his services. So let me tell you some of my favorite people. Uh, Ehud, Ehud, I like Ehud because Ehud is left-handed. I'm left-handed. And so, uh, so I always was drawn to that story because of the left-handed Ehud. Now, the thing about his story, uh, some say it's not so much about his left-handedness that made his story impactful, but the fact that Ehud quite possibly may have been disabled in his right hand which is why he was left-handed. And so the great things that he accomplished in Scripture was because when people looked at him, all they saw was his disabled nature, which allowed him to advance. God blessed this disabled man. Or uh, Deborah. Deborah. I love love the story of Deborah. I love to throw this to the face of some of my Southern Baptist friends. I like to tell them, hey, by the way, did you know that there was a spiritual leader in the book of Judges who led God's people? Uh, She was a woman. And during that time in that patriarchal society, women didn't typically lead. And I like Deborah just because she's a woman and that's different in scripture isn't it also uh, I love Gideon I love Gideon because God used a coward and turned him into a mighty man of God I love that we find Gideon hiding from the enemies threshing wheat hiding so that he could not be found God transformed him or one of my favorites is this guy man you'll find it I love this story Jephthah Jephthah was um, the son of a prostitute and he was a thug. He, he was a thug, literally a scriptural, biblical thug. In the streets, God converted and changed his heart, and Jephthah became a leader of men and a leader of Israel. Then everybody's favorite judge, that um, temperamental, uh, hormonal Samson, right? Yeah, the strong man, right? right. Samson, uh, Samson's a mess. We love him. I, I love judges because... I find that the people in those stories are a lot like you and I. There's nothing great about them. It's only about what God chose and decided to do through them. 
Oftentimes when we read scripture, we think of these superhuman beings that somehow have been anointed and empowered to do these amazing feats. But I love to read scripture and see some of the more dysfunctional figures that God uses to accomplish great things. I love those group of rejects. I love it. And what makes it powerful to me as I read it is the fact that God looked at those people and he saw their issues. He saw where they lacked and God still called them. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Is that when we read the pages of scripture, when we look at these lives, we think that these are some abnormally great people. And I tell you, there are no abnormally great people in scripture except for Jesus and Jesus alone. And God uses dysfunctional people, disabled people in scripture to do his great works because God knew exactly who he called. He knew who he called. And so there are four quick things I'm going to go through today. These are the essential ideas I want you to know before we get finished today. And that's simply this. Number one, I want you to know that God knew you. The second thing I want you to know is that God called you. The third thing I need you to know is that God justified you. And the fourth thing I need you to know is that God glorified you. God knew you. God called you. God justified you. And God glorified you. Now, our passage today I love because I I was going to go here first as we're walking through Romans 8. uh, It comes right on the the heels of one of the more famous scriptures, uh, Romans 8, 28. Uh, Many of us know this right from heart because we all receive it and we know go. Uh Uh-huh. All right. And we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Now, I was going there because it's, it's a fruitful scripture. I mean, we all need to hear that and to know that no matter what we experience and no matter what bad things or hardships happen in our lives, we all need to know that God is working those things for our good. But then I read verses 29 and 30, and I saw that 8 and 28 were great, but 29 and 30 almost solidifies what takes place in verses 20, uh, 28. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this real quick, and we're going to go out, and we're going to spread this to his people. Let's start, number one, with the fact that God knew you, and you guys seem a little tired, so I'm going to make you talk to me today, okay? Now, I, I tell you all this, the, 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 the chocolate preacher's here today, and if you don't talk back to me, that adds five minutes onto the sermon every time, all right? So I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you talk to me. So say this to me. Number one, God knew you. Oh, there we go. Understand this. When we read this, as Paul is talking to us, when he's saying that God knew you, this is not about a past tense knowing. It's not like God knew you and then God, he doesn't know you anymore. It's not like breakups to makeups, like you were friends in elementary school, you grew up, he doesn't recognize you anymore. This isn't what's taking place. What Paul is trying to make clear is simply this. God knew you. God's been knowing you. It's probably how it's more better translated. He's been on you. So when I read this, I I think about the conversation when he calls Jeremiah. You remember Jeremiah chapter 1 when Jeremiah first is called by God and God tells, uh, says, uh, here's from Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah that before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and ordained you and called you. You remember that conversation? This is what essentially Paul is arguing to us, is that before you were formed in your mother's womb, God says, I've known you I've been knowing you God God knows you he knows all about you intimately he knows exactly who you are you you can't hide anything from God we wake up daily and whether you come in here or you go to work or you go to school wherever you find yourself we have masks 
that we put on for people, things that we shape. We have internet personalities, personas that we put before people, but none of that matters to God. God knows. God knows exactly who you are. He knows how you're uniquely wired. He knows how you're designed. I love the scripture tells us that he has, for those of us like me, very little, but he knows every hair that is on your head. He knows exactly who you are. God knows you. Your innermost being. Now, can't speak for you, but for me, it's just slightly spooky. The fact that God knows the depths of me, the depths of my heart. God knows the pieces of you that you don't want anybody else to know. God, God knows it. God knows your struggles. God knows your pains. God knows your insecurities. God knows the pain of your past experiences. God knows the brokenness stemming from past relationships and how you grew up and how people treated you. God knows the thoughts that you constantly tell yourself over and over again. God knows all of you, all about you. There's nothing about you that you can hide from God. God knows you. I love reading the psalmist. The psalmist says, where can I go to hide from you? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. But even if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are still there. God, God God knows all about you. We wake up and we hide and we put on masks and we disguise ourselves. But no matter how much makeup you put on, no matter how much you change yourself in front of people, God knows you, Paul says. God knew you. He's been knowing you. This, this kind of creeps me out sometimes. Because when I think about some of those stories, there are parts of me, I can't speak for you, there are parts of me that I don't like about me. And to imagine that the pieces of myself that sometimes I wake up and look up and say, I wish that I were not like that, thinking about the reality that God sees that and he knows all of that. He knows the root cause of that. He even knows the things that I have yet to give over to him. God, God knows me. God knows you. He knows all about you. God knows you. Before you were named. Before you uttered a word, before you took a step, before you interacted with someone, God, God knows all of you. But there's a beautiful side to that. Because if we go back to the story, the conversation between God and Jeremiah, God says, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. But that's not the end of the story. He says, but I called you and ordained you as a prophet unto the nations before before anyone else knew your story, before you connected with the people that you connected with, before you were broken by humanity and by the experience of life, before you were tainted and stained by sin, God says, I knew you before those things. And even when those things have taken place, are taking place, I still know you. And so not only do, do I know you, but I am calling you. Now, that, that, that's great for me because when I think about how crazy that I am when I think about my weird ways and idiosyncrasies the things that are different about me it's good to know that God sees all of those things and none of those things disqualified the relationship God says I knew you I called you anyhow I saw who you were I see who you are and I called you anyhow we know this because he says for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son now 
I could sit there, and this scripture here has been the topic of many arguments among theologians. I don't want to argue about this because I, I don't want to waste my time on the, the surface parts of it. Because I think when you connect the dots, the fact that God knew you, and so he knew you, he called and predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. What that says to you and I is basically this. God knew your innermost parts. He knew the innermost being that you are, everything about you, your entire story. He knows that. And the parts of you, if you're like me, that you do not like, the parts of you that you wake up and you wish that you were not, the things that you struggle with, your insecurities, what the rest of that says to me is this. God saw who you were, and so he decided that since you've come to me, I am now going to shape you to be like me. I'm going to shape you, conform you to be in the image of my son. Why is that significant? Well, when you consider about your struggles, when you think about the things that you experience in life, there's only one being who's handled the things in life and have not sinned and did not fail, and that's Jesus himself. We see that in Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews 4 and 15, where it says that we have a high priest who can, who, can, who can experience or who has experienced everything that we have, yet he did it without sin. So what Paul is saying is essentially this, God knew you. God knew that you would have failures. God knew that you would have flaws. And rather than leaving it to you to figure out how to fix yourself and how to get over these things or how to take all these things off your list, what God said is this, I'm simply going to put my spirit inside of you. That's last week. Put my spirit inside of you, and I'm going to shape you into the image of my son. I'm going to give you the best gift that I can give you. Rather than you sitting at home stressing about your insecurities, rather than you waiting on and trying to fix yourself or coming up with your to-do list on how to fix these things that's going on in your life, Jesus says, no, don't, don't worry about any of those things. I just simply want you to learn how to be like me. Just be like me, conform to the image of his son. I want you to be like me. God knows us. And so when we connect the dots, we see just a few things then. We started off just talking about the experience in Romans 7, that we find ourselves in places constantly where we feel like we are not enough. But then Romans 8 and 1 tells us that we don't have to be enough because God does not condemn us. And then we walked and we found out that, oh, not only does he not condemn us, but he's given us a power source to keep us. We found that in Romans 8 and 11. And then we discovered not only that, but that we discovered that, that he is with us. And if he's with us, that nobody can be against us. We discovered all these things, but we discovered today, and we're listening today, the reality is the reason why. The reason why we are not condemned. The reason why there is a power source in all of us. The reason why God is for us. What all begins with the fact of this relationship that he knows you. He knows you. When you know somebody, you love somebody, you treat them better. I was listening today. We, we're praying, right, about a lot of things that's taking place in our, our culture and our community. That's what led us to the throne room of God. And I, I was listening to a story on the NPR and listening to about this barbershop and a cop in Charlotte after they've just finished dealing with the riots of the injustice that's taking place there. And um, there was a, a, a cop in the barbershop in a predominantly African-American community. This is a white cop in the barbershop, and he's there. He's sitting there getting his hair cut, and he's showing the owner of the barbershop a picture of what he's experienced while he was down there. But he's part of the community, and he's able to sit there 
And he's able to show as the only white guy in this predominantly black community his point of view. And they're all watching and listening at the video that's on his phone. And so the interviewer asked him, well, how were you able to do this? He says, well, I've been coming here for a very long time. These people know me and we have an understanding. The owner says, I intentionally started a relationship with him because I figured if I knew him, there's no chance that he'd harm me. When you understand that God knows you, when you understand that he knows your innermost beings, a lot of the things that we lay awake at night condemning ourselves over, a lot of the struggles that we have in our hearts, a lot of the things that keep us awake or keep us separated from people or cause us to sink into depression. When you know that God knows your innermost beings and he still loves you, he still calls you, he still justifies and glorifies you, you'll be able to rest a lot more. When you know that God loves you and he knows you so deep and so intimately, the sin that keeps you so easily entangled, you'll be more willing to give those things to God if you know that God not only knows you, but he loves you. He's called you. He's got a plan for your life. This is what Paul is trying to get us to understand, is that the start of all of this begins with the relationship between he and you and I. That's the start of it all. And if you understand the beginning of life, it's when we connect to the reality that we are intimately connected to our Lord. He sees where we are. And then he says that he, he calls us. Now, I, I don't really like cliches and clever one-liners, but when, when I read this, I'm reminded of something that I've heard growing up all the time. I used to hear people say all the time that God doesn't call the qualified, but God qualifies the call. Well, when I connect the dots of this scripture, that makes sense to me. That God sees where you are. He sees your insecurities. He sees where you do not measure up. And none of those things matter to God. He sees exactly where you are. And he says, listen, come, my son and my daughter, no matter where you are, no matter what you experience, I'm calling you, all of you, all of the things that you think disqualify you, all of that, I'm calling for you to be a part of my greater plan. I want to use that. I want to use your story. I want to use the brokenness in your life. All of those things qualify you to be my child and to be someone that I want to use. God sees your story. And I know there are some of you in here who think that because of what you've gone through in your past, because of how you're naturally hardwired, that perhaps God can't use me. And according to the scripture, God says, not only can I use you, but I'm calling you. Come here. Come be my child. Come let me use you for my kingdom's glory. God sees you. And unlike humanity, he sees you and he does not disown you. He calls you. Come to me. Come, come here. The things that society says disqualifies you doesn't do so with God. God says, come here. Come, come to me. Let me use you. I'm reminded. I'm reminded uh, as the crowds are gathered around this young woman and she has, been, she has been accused of adultery, which I find this story to be amazing because you've got all of these men gathered in the square. They all have stones in their hand and they've got this woman about to beat her uh, and stone her for adultery. The crazy thing is the guy whom she had committed adultery with is nowhere to be found. That's another story for another day. She's there and Jesus gets down and he writes something in the ground. We don't know what it is, but everybody drops their stones and they go away. He goes to the woman and he says, where are they? your condemners she says there are none Jesus says neither do I we, we read social media we see what takes place on the, move, on the news and we see what sometimes even hateful Christians say 
But oftentimes those things are not indicative of our Savior. That's, that's not him. It's not how he is. He does not condemn. He does not disqualify you. He wants you to come closer. Because if you come closer, the things that you figure that have set you apart, that have left you out, are the very things that God wants to use inside of your life. God knows you. God called you. I know that to be true, that last statement, because of the third thing. God justified you. He says to those that he called are those that he also justified. Justified, the old theologians say that means basically this, that you can live just if, if I had never sinned before. He justified you, which means that he's chosen you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Now that he's got you, he's called you. And when he called you, this is where he qualifies you. He justified you. He will cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness, all of your impurities, all of those things that you think have left you separated from God. God will cleanse all of those things. He will justify you. You don't have to be made right in the eyes of humanity. All you need to do is make sure that you're made right in the eyes of God. God says, I'll clean you up. I will make you into who I want you to be. So when he says that I've conformed you or he wants to conform you into the image of his son, well, Jesus was the only human being to ever walk the planet sin sinless. And so what he's going to do to all of us when we come and we are called, that's where the cleansing takes place. So what that means is this. Um, if you think that because of who you are or the sins in your life or the things that you feel have kept you separated, if you think that you stand on the outside, it's going to help. Or that if you stay separated or disconnected until you cleanse yourself up, if you think that's it, that's bad math. What Paul is saying is that God, God doesn't want you to wait till you're clean. Come, come to me. Come to me and I will clean you. I will prepare you. I will justify you. I will wash you. I will cleanse you. Let me do that. Let me justify you. Let me make you right again. I think about this, and when I read it, it just sounds like Jesus is wanting to restore what once was. When I think about the creation story, and I see Adam and Eve in the garden, they're pure, they have this relationship with God. It seems as though what God wants is that relationship again where he just wants us. He just wants the relationship, but we've been, we've been stained by sin. It's, it's a virus that has made us impure, and what he's trying to get us to understand is the work in order for us to get back to that place, that beloved place, does not lay on our shoulders. It lays simply on his. He wants the relationship back. He wants to restore and to redeem us back to the place where we once was. Let the Lord cleanse you. Stop stressing out about how you're going to become. Let him. Give it over to him because if he called you, he'll make you right. He will justify you. And then the latter part of that is that he glorifies us. Now, usually that's talking about death in most of the other places within scripture that when we die, when we are in heaven, our glorified bodies will raise. But here, Paul's, Paul's not talking about the after-death experience. He's making mention of 
the possibility of a very current, current portion of that that could take place right here on earth, which is this. The person that you were, and if people meet the person that you are today, and that they see something different on the inside of you, if they see something different in you, that there is the glorified version that Paul is talking about. The things that used to trip you up, if you are able now to not be tripped up by those things, if you are able to get past those things, that there is a vision or a portrait of the glorified version of who you are and what God is doing inside of your life. Paul is saying, listen, God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. He will make sure that you get there. He's going to call you. He's going to clean you up so that when you go, people will see his hand upon you. And people will be able to say, they'll know your story. They'll say, I remember when, but it's amazing to see you now. This is what Paul is painting a picture of. That you would be much more like God than what you think. So I'm thinking about um, so many things that have taken place in Scripture and thought about the potter and the clay as Jeremiah talks about that. And how the clay has, is beaten and it is put into hot fire and it's shaped and molded into what, what the potter wants it to be. I think about that when I read the scripture. I think about the stories of the silversmith, if you're familiar with it. And everything that he goes through to get that perfect piece of silver. The beating that the, the metal takes as he's trying to cleanse it and purify it. But not only the beating that the metal takes, but also the heat that it takes. And I don't know if you know the process of not, but what happens is basically this. As he beats it and he's trying to purify it, he's trying to bang some of the impurities out of it, but he puts it into the heat and he constantly puts it in the heat and brings it out. He puts it in the heat and he brings it out over and over again until one simple thing takes place. He knows that it's complete, the job is finished, when he pulls out the steel and he can see his face inside of the metal. And sometimes we wonder, why, why this? Why am I shaped that way? Why are these my struggles? Why do I experience what I experience? I'm trying to tell you, God knows you. God sees that part of you. And sometimes the struggles that we experience in our life is just a part of God purifying and cleansing us so that we may go to him so that eventually we may be conformed to the image of his son or better yet so that he can see his face in us. So that you can be, I can be, just like him. Our prayers are often, God, help me with a number of things. And I tell you that you can, you can defeat that with one prayer. God, make me like you. God, make my will your will. God, make me long for you. And if you focus on adding him to you rather than subtracting other things, then I guarantee whatever your what if is can be accomplished simply by your relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's get ready to go. Worship team, they're going to come forward, and um, we are going to pray. 
And then um, at the conclusion, um, actually there's two things that I want to do. Um, I'm going to pray real quickly. Um, and then I'm going to have, after the worship team sings, if you're willing to stay behind, uh, I'm going to have Brian come up and kind of give us instructions from there. Uh, but before we get there, yes. Um, 